I mean, God's been meeting me faithfully every morning in my quiet time, but He's been just giving me these little bits and pieces, uh, things. Welcome, Smith. <laughs> um, he's been giving me these little bits and pieces, and they're not really enough to be able to justify a whole message and be able to stretch out a verse uh, to be able to give it to you folks. This is sacred time up here. Then. So I was like begging the Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need? In the midst of that, I'm, I'm still wrestling with this decision to make. And so I turned to uh, Sermon Index and started looking up how to make decisions. And by golly, I found such a great message by uh, Tozer. He was given it, uh, I think, in the 50s in Camby, Oregon, right here in, in Oregon. So I, what I wanted to do is, I'm going to give you two sermons today. Uh, the topic that was particularly near to my heart was how do I make that decision, right or wrong, yes or no, move or not move, what do I need to do in these things? Um, and I need that personal revelation from the Lord. I need Him to leadeth me. But on the other hand, uh, what I found here by Tozer was, was a sermon called Spiritual Treason. It's on Sermon Index, and I highly recommend it. It's, a, it's an exceptional uh, message. It's really short. Uh, so you're going to get two for the price of one this morning. For showing up this morning, you're going to get two sermons, if the Lord gives me time. So we're going to first look at uh, some of the things that, that Tozer lays out. Um, most of what I have to come to say this morning and this morning is from him about the about this verse. This is First Thessalonians five, twenty through twenty one. Despise not prophesizing. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. A little bit of definitions there. Uh, prophecy. This is Thayer's definition. It says this: uh, um, a discourse. Emanating from the divine inspiration and declaration, declaring, <laughs> declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving or admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden, especially by foretelling. The second uh, definition there to look at is to prove, prove all things and hold fast to which is good. Thayer says this about it. It means uh, to, to test, to examine to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not, uh, to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve, deem worthy. Despite not prophesizing, uh, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. His concern was judging new doctrines that came through the church, new waves of understanding, new, new things that the, that the Spirit is doing. He wanted to know if they were from God or from the flesh, maybe even from Satan. But by the end of this talk this morning, I hope to look at something a little bit more deeper. And that's what my decisions, what I need to do, yes or no, that, like I was saying earlier. There's a road to take. Which lane do I go? Do I go right or do I go left? How do we figure out or discern what the, what the will of the Lord is for the decisions before me, before you? Let's start, though, with this valuable teaching of Tozer. Just to think of all the ways of the church that I've witnessed in my life, in my tiny little lifetime compared to the Christendom and how long it's been here. Whether it be uh, um, the holy laughter that, that broke out in the 80s or the, or the barking and the, and the falling on the ground and rolling and, uh, and all the things that I've seen there. I, I remember when Greasy Grace became something that was an establishment of the church. I don't know if it's from the church or not, but I've also seen rigid legalism that leads to an outward obedience, 
but an inward death. And I've seen many moves in the church culture, which says a lot because I'm not really one who looks at the church. I'm not, I'm not one that's out there to evaluate other churches. I'm struggling with my own little life here. I, I, don't, I don't need to be looking at what's going on. But, um, but I've seen these expressions of the Spirit as they move through the church. I've, I, I've been in the congregation of the assembly when the, uh, the pastor still brings... I don't know, fear or humor to me. But I was in, I was in a Pente- first Pentecostal church. I'm sure those people love the Lord. Uh, but the, at the end of a fairly good sermon, uh, there was this moaning and crying and testifying. And it really sounded like not something that it was pleasant. And uh, my poor wife and I were trying to figure out what was going on. And we were in the back and the pastor and I think some of his henchmen came and they laid hands and pushed on my wife and I to go forward to the altar because we were the only ones in the whole group building who had not burst out in tears and crying and uh, had rushed to the altar. That was an experience. (laughs) Um, But uh, he he prayed that we would give in to the Spirit and have uh, the tongues fall upon us. We've been under the, my wife and I have been under the biblical foundation teaching of what it means to collapse in the holy presence of the Lord. That was an interesting note. The World, World Jubilee Church, I think that was, on River Road. I've been part of the Holy Patriotism. I have been part of the Holy Separatism. How does one look at the different teachings and evaluate it? Or, may I add, and Tozer didn't go into this, how do we evaluate our own teachings? Things that we stand on upon foundations, that this is what we believe and how we believe it. How do we evaluate? Is this of the Lord? Is this truly what, what the Lord wants? I came by this teaching and I was looking for that personal study. And I want to go there, as, I, as I've already said, but, but I found the study to be a great first step in thinking about my personal decisions. And he has a filter that he wants to go through. So he gives seven little tests to judge a move or a teaching, a doctrine, that I found to be really inspiring. And here we go. I want to, I want to share that. Tozer asked his audience to evaluate new waves of doctrine or teaching that came through the church every now and then uh, by these seven filters. Might I add uh, these work by checking out the old teachings as well, as we talked about, things that, that we always believe because it's what we always believe. Let's th- throw these filters at it. Be they old or the be they new. And, and just before I go further here, I want to stop and I want to say, if you're one of those that says, uh, there is no move, new move of the Holy Spirit. After all, God is on changing, right? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's, he just not doesn't change. His ways are passed down from generation to generation, even before Minnow Simons, down from the apostles and the disciples and from Jesus himself. We have his ways, so they never change. That's true, but the world changes, but the culture changes, the technology changes, the, the, the way we interact with each other changes, and so we need that fresh, every morning touch of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us and give us wisdom and, and, and to ask, is, is this something from the Lord? I mean, if, if there was no outside influence, then the, the cancer that had been part of the church all the way up to the 1400s during the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation and the Super-Reformation of the, of the Anabaptists, if it wasn't for those moves of the Spirit to correct His church, then we might all still be not allowed to read the Bible, for one thing. We may not, uh, We could only hear the Bible read in, in Latin. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened in the church that we had to have experienced change. The Holy Spirit had to interject 
uh, a new doctrine, as it were, and get us back to the original doctrine of what he had to say. So there's, there are new things. But his name is still our strong tower. He still leads us to green pastures, and he still is our mighty fortress. So old or new teachings of doctrines, this new, or this new emphasis, or this new way of understanding, it needs to be evaluated, uh, not just as, and thrown away as new uh, or expected, because the teaching is, is good, the preacher is good. Uh, Tozer gave these seven little considerations. He asked all of these things I'm about to say, these, these considerations, so you see this new doctrine come and preached and taught, the Look at him through this filter. How does it affect our view of? How does it affect our attitude towards? Our relationship with? Or our understanding of the following? Number one, God the Father. Is he being glorified? Is he being lifted up? Made the purpose and the reason. Does it make God big? Or does it make him small? Is God made more necessary or less necessary? Does it humble me and make me small in comparison to God? The whole purpose of creation, the whole purpose for creating man, for the whole purpose for giving his, his scriptures to us, the whole purpose in the redeeming story, the, the, the redemption act of God, of Jesus, his son, is so that God the Father might receive glory. If we're lessening that, then it's not of God. If this new teaching, this new wave of the Spirit is not glorifying Him more, making me less, then trust it's not of God. The glory of God is the health of the universe. Hell is sick because it lacks His glory. Heaven is full of health because it's all about His glory. And as Hoser points out, that we're, we're here in between. There's some that would give God glory and some not. We suffer sickness here. We're partially well. Number two, how does this teaching affect my understanding, my attitude towards God's Son? Because of who He is and what He is, He will always be necessary. I will always need Him. Always. Any experience, any teaching, any activity that I'm exposed to that makes any less of Jesus cannot be of God. The teaching of any man that lifts a church a doctrine, an experience, a, a prophecy. I think of Darby here, but I won't go down that road. Uh, a list of prophecy higher than Jesus. His person, his teaching, his life, an example, his death and his resurrection is not of God. Jesus' ministry was God's greatest act of love ever. A man being lifted, an experience being lifted up, or, or does this new thing or an old doctrine that we have always believed, does it make Jesus more beautiful, more the center? Is He more important? Because of this teaching, is Jesus more important than He has been yesterday? Today, is He more important to us? Ask yourself that. Scripture, how does it affect our view of, our attitude towards, our relationship and our understanding of Scripture? This book is a love letter to you and me. A woman reportedly came to Tozer after one of his traveling preaching engagements and told him that she was deeply concerned. Her pastor, who was very eloquent, her pastor who, who was very uh, charismatic, his pastor had told the congregation that they were to forget all that they had learned and then listened to. That he said to close the book and to listen to the insights that God had given him. Tozer told her to tell that preacher to get lost. 
No man can speak past what has been given. Let the dreamer tell his dreams. Let the one with utterance speak. Let the one with interpretation use their gift. But all of it must be verified by the word of God. The devil can send a fiery dart that feels good, that justifies so many things. He can send a a fiery dart that enlightens. But if it stands in contrast to the word of God, it's not of God. It's false. Myself and others, point number four. Anything from God will humble me. As John pointed out, we need to become less so that God becomes greater. Anything from God puts to death the things of the flesh. But the things that come from the flesh puff up the flesh. It makes us look down on others. You are not better than others. You are called to love God and love others. That, as Kennison points out, and I, and I love that sermon, others. You don't have it? Get that download that sermon. Others by Kennison. But he, as he points out in that sermon, if we love God with our whole heart and we love others with our whole heart, that really doesn't leave anything for us. We're not to elevate ourselves and be indignant and, and get angry over things that are injustices to us if we're loving others and we're loving God. So if, if this new teaching lifts myself up and says that I have rights and I have privileges and, and makes me more important than others, chances are it's not of God. Point number five, other Christians... How does this teaching affect my view and my attitude towards my relationship with my understanding of other Christians? Anything that separates us from other Christians is not from the God of the God of unity. It testifies poorly about the one that made love the center of his ministry. Tozer went on to state that he was not talking about separation from non-believers. If a pastor tells the congregation that he no longer believes that Christ is the Son of God, if if he goes on and he says that that uh, that he wasn't really really God's son, that that he believes now that there is no such thing as a resurrection, or that the blood does not fully cleanse us, then this is not a believer but a justifier. And I and I do remember that. I remember there was a uh, a group of of Christians. They called themselves Christians who believed that the miracles really didn't happen, that Jesus really wasn't God's son. There really wasn't a resurrection, but they called themselves Christians. These would not be Christians. These would be people that we are called to separate ourselves from lest we fall under their doctrines and their teachings. These, um, there are those that go around and they quick talk. Uh, they, uh, they quickly talk about the we, us, and our, but take their sweet time to talk about the God that unifies us in the body that goes way beyond our walls. At one point, Tozer shouted out, I am a Catholic. And they quickly clarify, not a Roman Catholic, but I'm a Catholic that believes in that I am part, I'm a member of the worldwide body of Christ. <clears throat> Are you standing? Are you starting to believe that you're the only one? And and there are those that would say that you know I can't follow that man because he's wrong in this area and he's wrong in this area. But if he's right about the elements, the 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 major things of Christ, submitting one to another. I, I mean, I have personal testimony of that submitting one to another can really break some things down. Some pride and things that elevate myself, they can really break some things down. If you feel, though, that you are the only one who believes the right way, then I encourage you to crack open your Bibles and read Elijah's story in 1 Kings 19. 
and see how well that thinking went for him as God corrected him. Point number six, the world. If the teaching has me pursuing the important things of the world like money and fame and self-glory and hero worship, then you can be assured that it is not of God. Anyone who loves the world or the things of the world, well, let's just put, put it the way Jesus put it, shall we? Or, or through, through John, as God inspired him. It says First John there 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. All of this will someday burn up. The baby photos that we cherish of our children, they will burn up. The, uh, the job that we have that gives us uh, self-importance, that gives us uh, a reason to be, they'll go away. You go to retirement homes and, and you'll see a, an old man there just drooling on himself and, and, and having no dignity whatsoever, wearing diapers. And all that. Well, he used to be the head of the cardiac unit down at, at, uh, at some major hospital in San Francisco. I mean, it, time marches on and the things that we hold on to that give ourselves importance are not important. Tozer was saying that he was, uh, as he was traveling to uh, Canby in the rail car, he was in the dining room and, and he looked over and somebody whispered to him, do you, do you know who that is? That, that's, a, that's a famous starlet. That's a, and he said, I'm not going to tell you the name of the, of the movie star, I, 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 you know, in case she might listen someday. I won't tell you that. But he said, I, I, I was amazed. She was sitting there with her secretary eating lunch and she looked like a normal person. She didn't. She wasn't particularly pretty. She wasn't particularly ugly. She was just a normal person just eating. And I thought, why does everybody think that she's the greatest thing? And he'd even heard about her from inside the church. She, this, this is a great woman. And he went back to his Pullman car and he opened up a magazine and there it was. It was a picture of this woman. And he said, she looked like the angel Gabriel had done her hair. And, and the, the dust from heaven hadn't even came off of her. And she came down obviously from heaven. And, and, and she was so beautiful and just so gorgeous and, and so fake. So temporary. And I imagine if he did say this name of this lady, I'd be interested to see what she looks like today. She's probably dead. If she's not dead, she's probably not somebody you'd put on a, in a magazine uh, of that nature. It's all just so temporary. It's all We can't pull ourselves to hero worship. We can't lift up people at all. The other thing about uh, the things of this world is it's all going to burn up, right? In verse 17, continuing what we're talking about there in 1 John 2, verse 17, And the world patheth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Point number seven, sin and confession. There's a teaching out there based on an understanding in John's epistle, the one we just quoted from. Some people would say that they cannot sin. The things that they do would be sin for others, but since uh, since they are saved, it's not a sin. How does that work? How does that work? How does that teaching affect our view, our attitude, our relationship, our understanding of sin? Can we certain we can certainly take a scripture out of context? We can certainly take one scripture and say, "See, that's what I'm talking about." Well, really? Can we do that and still work with point number three? Where we lift up Scripture and we say, this is the standard that God is holding us to. This is, this is our direction. Can, can we really say that any particular doctrine 
is something that we can teach because of this one scripture, or do we have to look at the whole counsel of God and look at it? You know, Peter, he weighed in on this. He said uh, in Second Peter 1.20, he says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Tozer said this sobering word about that, that idea of, of sin. He said, If God is going to send a sinner to hell because of his sin, then how much more should his children not sin? Jesus died so that we could be saved from sin. This is not to say that we're perfect, but that is to say that we don't walk into slavery to sin any longer. Lord, please help me. Keep me from sin. And when we do find ourselves that we have sinned, we obey in our confession. Does a teaching, old or new teaching, that confession is no longer necessary? Well, then run from it. For the Word of God teaches that we are to confess one to another. And we are to confess our sins to God. 1 John 1.9 is not to get out of card jail. Or not to get out, get out of jail card. For one that likes to sin, it's the path to the right ongoing relationship with a perfect holy God who calls us to holiness. Make no provision for the flesh to act fleshly. Do not tolerate a teaching that allows us to sin uh, to that allows sin to be an excuse for your walk. Get this. Be angry. Or here's this other scripture. I do not want to do the things that I do. And I, and I do want to do the things that I do not do. Or how about this scripture? All have sinned and fallen short. All of those are warnings. Look at them in context. They're all warnings. They're not escape routes. Got to take the whole counsel of God and listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say about it. Well, there it was. He, he preached those seven. Um, he preached about how this new teaching, this new doctrine, this thing that we're considering, how does it affect our view of God the Father? How does it affect the view of, of God the Holy Spirit or God Jesus' Son? Does it make it more necessary? He talked about Scripture. He talked about this new view. And does it throw away Scripture? Does it say Scripture is not important to us? Uh, he talked about uh, uh, myself and others. He, he said... Other Christians. How, how does this view affect our view of others and, and, and Christians? And point number six, he talked about the world. And point number seven, he talked about sin. Now, one thing that kind of happened to me as I downloaded this uh, particular sermon and I was reading through it, listening through it, and just just going, yeah, amen, that's right, that is right, I really enjoy that, that's right. And then uh, he, he gets to uh, he gets to point uh, five, and the sermon turned off. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's two others. And so I was praying and I was thinking, well, Lord, what, what, uh, what else is there? And, and, and I was thinking about two other things and sin, our, our understanding of sin. And, and then uh, I got thinking about another one. And then I turned it, uh, turned it back on. I found another recording of it, in other words. And uh, sure enough, he did say sin, our approach to sin. I, I, was, I was spot on there. The other one, not so much. But I do think it's, <laughs> I do think it's important. So allow me... Little old me here in, uh, in Valley Christian Fellowship years later to add to this great man's sermon, if you will. I think point number eight is something to consider. May I add to the preacher's good words here? Prayer. Ask yourself how this teaching, old or new, affects my view of, my attitude of, my relationship with, or my understanding of prayer. Jesus came so that there would be no longer a need for a go-between. 
As Paul states in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is, uh, there is uh, one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have the privilege, we have the right to go before very God. We don't have to wait all year and then show up to Halsey and, and be able to lay our hands on, on the appointed man and, and say, this is my sin. Can you go before the Lord and, and, and get an apology for me? We don't have to go out and get a, a lamb or a, a bowl or something and get it sacrificed so our sins are forgiven. No, we have, we have the privilege to go before God. So if there's a doctrine that says you don't need to pray or prayer is not that important or you don't need to have that, that going relationship with the Lord, um, then toss it out because it's not of Him. He, he certainly died uh, and became our high priest so we don't have to have that mediator any longer. We can come boldly before the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4.16 says, to obtain mercy and find help and grace in our time of need. We could lay our loved ones at that throne. Now, won't it be great to see God? We're going to someday, real soon probably, either through death or rapture. We're going to see him face to face and we will be known as, or we will know as we are known. There won't be a need for filters. <laughs> that would be so amazing. I, I have in my life, I feel heard God clearly an audible voice at least once, maybe twice. It's rare. That's just rare. Someday we're going to hear him. Someday we're going to know his voice. Someday we're going to hear him. All right. Again, I recommend Tozer's uh, uh, deal. I think especially if you're looking at uh, moving or if you're looking at a different doctrine or a different church or, or anything of that nature, I really recommend those filters. I really recommend the, And the man preached. It was a pretty good recording. Um, and I appreciate what he had to say. But it didn't specifically speak to what I was going to, what I've been asking the Lord. Show me. Give me wisdom. Give me, give me a, a yes or a no. Give me a, a yes, I want you to move. No, I don't want you. Not physically. I, Lord willing, we'll be here for a long time. But, but what does the Lord want from this decision that's before me? I've got to figure this thing out. Uh, my wife and I are struggling. We've got we to gotta listen. We've got to get a clear voice from the Lord. What do I do? And so I've been looking at some scriptures now. And I just want to share this. This is not polished and it's certainly not from some preacher from the past. This is, this is just some thoughts I want to give to you. So with the time that we have left, uh, if we can go through this short understanding of things that I've looked at, uh, you have a decision, decision to make in front of you. How do you hear the Spirit? tell you which way to go, to say yes or to say no, to move or not to move. I have a close friend in high school. All right. Well, I still do. Yeah, she's a good friend. I haven't talked to her for a couple of years. But anyway, she's, uh, she's a good friend. And, and uh, I remember vividly in high school, she was telling me that she, would, uh, she was having a difficult time trying to share with her mother what it was to have a relationship with the Lord. Now, her mother was Christian. But she was a church-going Christian. You know what I mean by that. You can still be a Christian going to church. But, but she didn't really have this understanding of what, that she could have a relationship with the most awesome being in the entire universe, entire creation. She, she didn't know she could have that type of relationship with Jesus. And, and this uh, friend of mine just was pondering out loud over the breakfast table one morning, I wonder uh, which car the Lord would have me buy. And her mother quickly said, the Lord doesn't care what car you buy. Just, just buy whatever car you think is best. And, 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 uh, and it was, she was just really struggling with that, trying to explain that to her mom. Uh, but God does care about our lives. We've given everything over to him, all our possessions, all our money, all our life. I, everything is his. So certainly he cares about one car or another car or uh, whether we marry somebody, certainly, or we don't marry. Or if we, if we, you know, what are all these decisions that we have before us? 
It seems to me uh, that there are a few things to consider. And I'm not altogether that what I'm about to share with you guys is, is uh, the totality. Because <laughs> I, I still, I'm still struggling with some decisions. Um, and I think that some of the stuff I'm about to share with you, quite frankly, is a bit, a bit uh, um, you know, just a little quaint. You know, things like, uh, how, do you, how do you hear from God? Well, just listen. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not going to help you much. But I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to go through some scriptures that the Lord has shared with me in this decision-making process. And I'm going to throw out these addresses here. We're going to look at a couple different versions. And we're going to, we're going to plow through this. Um, the beginning would be a great place to start, right? You all know where I'm going. If you lack wisdom, what happens? Well, uh, it says there in Psalm 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is the King James Version. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. The beginning of wisdom, is a, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A, a good understanding have they that do His commandments. This one's out of the ESV, English Standard. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, it refers back to the earlier part of the conversation, the fear of the Lord. If you're practicing the fear of the Lord, it will give you good understanding. His praise endures forever. So, uh, the same verse, this is one out of the, the version that I typically read, which I won't say the name, but I'll just say the ERV. Uh, wisdom begins with fear and respect for the Lord. Those who obey him are very wise. Praises will be sung to him forever. And here's a, the last one I want to share with you. This is the New English translation. I found this to be really interesting, thought-provoking translation. To obey the Lord is the fundamental principle of wise living. To obey the Lord is the fundamental principle of wise living. All who carry out his precepts acquire good moral insight. He will receive praise forever. So to do his commandments, to practice this fear, this respect, this attentiveness, this focused awareness, with fear and respect in other translations, to obey the Lord is the fundamental principle. Before one can think about a car, or a yes, or a no, or a move, or not to move, one has to be walking in fear. One has to be walking in obedience, with respect. They have to be walking in a relationship with the Lord that, that says, I'm here to listen. I'm here to listen. I, I remember the days when I was a police officer and I used to try to catch people in the cemetery at 3 o'clock in the morning with one light bulb in the entire cemetery. And I would, I would walk through complete and utter darkness, not wanting to turn on my flashlight, and listening. Listening to everything. A, a twig being cracked over there. Somebody laughing over there. A can of beer being opened over there. I wanted to go where what I needed to do to take care of it. And... And I needed to listen. I couldn't see. I had to listen. So I had all my senses going as much as I could. Did I see a, a flare of a lighter? I need to go over there. I need to be looking at everything, listening. That, that was, and there was fear. You know, to a cemetery at 3 o'clock in the morning. Was, you know, there, was, there was stuff in my own heart that I had to deal with there. But, um, but I had, I had a, a, an attentiveness that I'm talking about. Before you go to the Lord with these decisions, you had to have that attitude with the Lord. You're going to show something to me. I go to church. Lord, open my heart that I can hear anything that you have to say to me today. Don't let me get confused or lost or, or dealing with things that I don't listen to what you have to say. You have to be there. You have to be able to understand his language. Can you imagine just for a minute 
uh, that you're, you're walking through the backwoods of Africa and an aborigine, aborigine, would that be Australia? Anyway, you're walking through and there's, there's uh, some foreigner, uh, backwards person, and he comes up to you and he sees you as the big, the, the big white know-it-all, the, the expert, the, the one who has all the wisdom. And this person comes up to you and with true humility, I mean true humility, and with true honor and respect of who you are and the position you have in all this, he comes up to you and he goes, Now how are you going to answer that? You're not going to be able to answer that at all. You have no clue what he said, right? But if he had taken the time to walk your way, to listen to you, to know your language, to, to, to approach you in, in what you're thinking and the strain of thinking you're thinking, then you'd be able to help him. Then you'd be able to, to, to expound upon him your wisdom and why you wear shoes in the, in the middle of the desert there with a bunch of things and snakes and things. But, but you'd be able to share that with him because you guys could understand that language. Now, the analogy breaks down because God is all-knowing, right? He knows our hearts before we come to him. He know, we can just babble on to him and God's going to understand exactly, pinpoint what we need. But how can we hear back unless we don't have an understanding of his language? Romans 12.2 says this, Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to Him. you got to be walking in that way, that fearful way of tending to listen to God and understanding and coming to His Word with respect and honor and listening. We need to see His 10,000 foot view of our problem. We need to be able to focus on it. And James helps us here with this next step. This is from the Amplified Bible. Uh, again, for those who may not know, uh, King James and Amplified both come from the same body of text, so they, they, they're very similar in, in uh, how they translate, the, except for the Amplified does one thing extra. It will add words that are a different understanding of the word. Does that make sense? So it's not emphasizing like we would in English. If you were to say, I went to the car, I went to the new car, I went to the brand new shiny car with the, with the red windows, um, I'm expanding on, I'm trying to explain to you, I'm narrowing down exactly which car. That's kind of what that lady did when she translated the King James into the Amplified. But anyway, if any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly, without reproach or faltering. And it will be given to him, only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitation, no doubting, or that the one who wavers, hesitates, doubts, is like the billowing surge out of the sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for. For the Lord, for being as he is, a man of two minds, uh, King James says double-minded, hesitating, uh, dubious, he is un, uh, uh, unstable and unreliable, unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. Now, I understand that what we're saying here is we're coming before the Lord and say, "I expect an answer. I want an answer, and I want to clearly grab on that answer. I'm not going to be going to this way and this way and then doubting all these things." And and that's what the Lord's saying here through James. He's he's saying this is how we need to approach God with our with our question of wisdom. I need wisdom on this, but there's a problem. The enemy can fire a dart. In 2 Corinthians 11:13-15, Paul shares this wisdom for us. Such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is, transferred, 
himself, uh, sorry, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers, if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Remember the words that I shared earlier about Tozer. This is the reason I had Tozer first. That filter. When you go to the Lord for a question and you feel like you have an answer, think it. Go through that filter. How does that answer affect my relationship with the Lord and with God and with the Son and with the Scriptures and, and with others? These, these, this decision that I came and I feel like I got an answer, does it line up right? But if we have heard it and it was confirmed, then we should take it wholeheartedly. We should, have to, we should be prepared to come to Him and receive. If we ponder over what we know in our hearts is the answer, then we will be sure today and unsure tomorrow. We will know for certain in this moment, but in the next moment have doubts. The King James Version uses the phrase, the double-minded man. We need to come asking with a, no matter what I hear, I need to obey attitude. Asking first for strength and courage to follow. King Solomon had a great prayer. A good one to be looking at. This is 1 Kings 3.9. He says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy great people? He was concerned about being held responsible for judging that great nation. But you know what? Each one of us has a great nation within us. It's called the legacy that goes forward, right? Our children. Those children are going to have children. Their children are going to have children. And the decisions, the anger we display, the forgiveness we display, the mercy we display, the sloppy grace that we display, the, the not holding them accountable, everything we display to our children is going to go forward into a great nation. It's going to go there. Unless the Lord comes back, uh, there is consequences to us as a daddy, as you as a mama, what we do. And, and so, um, yeah. Just remember, that's a great prayer to have. Give me wisdom to discern good and bad. Having lived a life, learning to hear His voice, listening to His Spirit. By the way, listen to this one, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's King James. Put another way, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive the truths of God's Spirit. It, is, it all sounds foolishness to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means, the living. In having asked for an answer, now we have to start with our open ear hunting, reading, praying, asking others. Godly souls that have wrestled through much. In Ezekiel 44.23, God says this about his, uh, about his teachers, his pastors, his leaders of the church. Also, the priest must teach my people the difference between things that are holy and things that are unholy. They must help my people know what is clean and what is unclean. In Hebrews, I never caught this before in Hebrews. Catch this. Hebrews 5.13. Anyone who lives on milk is still a baby and is not able to understand much about living right. But solid food is for people who have grown up. From their experience, they have learned to see the difference between good and evil. So spiritually mature people, great people to go for and say, "What I don't, I don't understand this thing and I, and I need wisdom, I need clarification, and I need confirmation. I feel like the Lord is saying this. What do you think? Then pray and check the Scriptures. Acts 17.11, of course, the people in Berea uh, were, uh, were much nicer than those in Thessalonica and they gladly received the message. Day after day, they studied the Scriptures to see if these things were true. Proverbs 15.14 
The heart of him who has understanding and seeks knowledge. But the mouth of the fools feed on folly. Proverbs 18.15 Wise people want to learn more so they can listen closely to gain knowledge. Bring your questions to the Lord. Before reading His Word, listen to this promise. So, so in other words, I want to say here is that in your quiet time, Lord, I am I, questioning this. And rather than just constantly dwelling on it, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm about to have my just normal quiet time. I'm about to open up Your Word. I want anything in there that to change me to change me. I don't want anything in the in the way. Uh, but by the way, Lord, I'm also worried about this. Can you tell me what I need to do about this? What decision do I need to make? I want to make the right decision, which means I want your decision, so give it to me. And just open up the Word and see what He has to say. Bring your question to the Lord. Listen to this promise of God. Keep, in, keep it in mind that you want to be free from the flesh and you hear from your spirit. Okay? Listen to this. Hebrews 14, or Hebrews 4, 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Your flesh may want to go to the left, but God's Word will cut that away so that you can hear Him say, no, I want you to go to the right. But be warned, our compromises in following Him will affect our listening ability. In Hosea uh, 14.9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is uh, uh, discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The ways of the Lord. Here we're in context, we're talking about the, the commandments of the Lord, the writings, if I can extrapolate a little bit, his writings of the Lord, the Bible. If we're compromising with God, we can get stumbled up in these things and get confused and get lost. But if we're upright, if, we're, if we've got a clean slate before the Lord, if we're pursuing and obeying, remember the beginning of the wisdom, it's part of that obeying him. For obeying, then these things will make sense to us and we can walk in them. It might be that the right decision might feel wrong at the time and at the end of the day. This, this point scares me a little bit. As a loving father, he might want us to see something that you might not otherwise see. If you, if you feel that it's just right for me to go here, it makes total logical sense for me to do this. But God, I feel strongly he's telling me to do this. There might be a reason there. It says, uh, trust in the, this is Proverbs 3, 5, 7. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean on on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. You may feel like this is the logical way, but He knows that that way is not straight. It's not the right way. He'll lead you over here and then He will make that path straight. He will do that. And Paul says this uh, in 8, 28 through 29. He says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among the brethren. So a decision that He gives us, if we're totally open to Him, it may not all be primroses. It may not all be a, just, a, just a great path to walk. It might be the harder walk. It might be oh, straight over the mountain instead of around it. It might be something that God wants to teach us on that path to become more like His Son. But we've got to be open to that. And here's the one. Now, I, I, you, you notice that I had Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture on all those points. This one, <laughs> well, I do have a Scripture. Uh, my wife and I attended a, a marriage class years ago, probably about two decades ago, almost. And uh, I called the teacher 
of that class last night. <laughs> I said, do you remember two decades ago you, you taught this? Do you know what scripture you got that out of? Because that's a great point. I believe it. I've seen it in my life. I know it's true. But give me the scripture. And he hemmed and hawed. <laughs> and he couldn't come up with it. Um, God bless that man. But um, if you're married, one gift God has given you is your spouse. I heard it said before, taught in this class that my wife and I were in, and I've always believed it, that God has given a married couple a oneness that he doesn't give with you to anybody else. There is there is a joining of the spirit there. There is a joining of the fight, a joining of the being underneath God. And and that oneness goes, uh, it, it, you fast together, you read together, you're listening together, God will show a way. If you strongly feel that this is the right answer and your spouse strongly feels that no, it's not, then keep praying. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place where the, where the father is held responsible for the decision and he has to do what, what the man has been called to do in the relationship. And the woman is not, I'm not saying the woman's not called to submit and go, okay, I don't see it that way, but yes, honey, I agree with you. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's not right because that's the way the Bible says. But I do say that there should be a check in your spirit if there's two different directions represented in a marriage. Before that, Scripture says, Honey, I'm in charge. And honey, I submit. Before that, I think there should be a real working out, a real fasting, and a real seeking the Lord, and seeking godly counsel, and being together when you seek that counsel. Because, you know, in Amos it says 3.3, 3, 3, it says this, Can two walk together except to be agreed? I had to do an exegesis on that verse for uh, for the, uh, a study on, on mental purity and, and things. Um, it really doesn't say what it says. I mean, you dig into it, and it really talks about not not walking side by side and agreeing on your steps. It agrees on the end destination. If we're not agreeing on that end destination, how can we walk together? And, and I would say, in a marriage situation, all that much more. There is a there is a time and a place for submission. There is a time and a place for leading out. But there is more often than not a time of oneness in our thoughts and our decisions. So what a gift God has given us by having a spouse that we can talk to and listen to and reason out and pray with and fast with and, and, and really see God for these decisions. So he's given us that extra, extra little skill there, little, extra little gift to be able to make these decisions. In conclusion, Solomon has this great uh, thing here. He, he had an addressment. I, we think it's Solomon. Who knows? But uh, in Proverbs... Chapter two, he says this, and this be listening over, thinking about what I just shared, all the scriptures I shared about how we make our decisions, how we come before the Lord and the scriptures and obey. Solomon says this to his son, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with, with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Awesome verse to memorize, by the way. Uh, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of their saints, of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equality and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discernment will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of the upright to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil 
a delight in the uh, perversion of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. In the end, this is not part of that verse, but in the end, God has our interest in our decisions. He, he wants us to go through those things. Let me, let me say this kind of in a written, kind of in a prayer over all of us. These are two scriptures that I, I, just, I just think are beautiful in this whole, in the conclusion of all this matter. In the Philippians, Paul writes this, chapter 1, 9 through, uh, 9 through 11. This is my prayer for you, that your love will grow more and more, and that you will have knowledge and understanding with that love, that you will see the difference between what is important and what is not, and choose what is important, that you will be pure and blameless for the coming of Christ, that your life will be full of the many good works that are, that are produced by Jesus Christ to bring glory and praise to God. And this also in Psalm 119, 125, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand thy statutes. Lord, it's a beautiful thing that the God of creation who made stars beyond numbers, who made planets, who made water, <laughs> who made everything that we enjoy here on this earth, that the God of all of creation cares about what car we choose to buy. You're not an impersonal God. You not only sent your son that we could know you better through his ministry. You not only had that son be sacrificed and resurrected so that we could come before God himself with our little concerns. But you sent your Holy Spirit to reside in us. That you would show us the way. Lead us, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you. I, I can't thank you enough that you would care about all the little things in our lives. Lord, help our ears to be unplugged. Help our hearts to be open. Help us to hear tomorrow, the next day, the next day, which way we should go on any decision that's before us, anything that we've been thinking about. Let us cast our burdens on you because you care. And you say you care. What a beautiful thing that you care. There are heavy things in our hearts. Loved ones, daughters, sons. There are decisions for the future. There are things, Lord, that are too big for us to even fathom. But God, you see everything. You know what things are, the results are going to be. And you've opened up your grace to us that we could be empowered by your Holy Spirit to, to get a glimpse. So help us, Lord. Hone our hearing that we could hear it right. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.